mindfulness mode. So just because we think something or just because we feel something doesn't mean it's the truth. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness here on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Mindful Tribe, a lot of you have reached out to me and you've talked about anxiety, you've talked about different kinds of stress that you have and, and how mindfulness has helped you. Well, today I have an expert on who has been working in this field for quite a long time and she's written a book that uh, she sent me a few weeks ago and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, it's a very easy, straightforward read, but it has very practical uh, ways to apply this. You can use it for yourself. You can use it if you're working with clients. It's a very, very well-written book and a, a book that's easy to uh, digest. And that book is called Fear Traps. Now I'm here today with the author of this book, Dr. Nancy Stella. Dr. Stella, are you in mindfulness mode today? Yes, I am. Thank you, Bruce, for having me on. I appreciate it. And I've enjoyed your podcasts. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to have the opportunity to talk to you today. So, Dr. Stella, what does mindfulness mean to you? You know, that's a good question. So I have clients ask me that all the time. You know, what exactly is mindfulness? And the simplest way that I can present it is say, by just being present in the moment, by focusing on whatever has your intention in the moment. It could be a feeling, it could be something that you see, being present. And typically with clients, we will go through a series of different exercises to help them be able to learn mindfulness. Because even though it sounds easy, it takes practice. Yeah, it really does. Well, with your book, it just pulled me in right away. And and in the first few pages, I was like, oh my goodness, you just have such a way of, of drawing in the reader because you were telling the story of something that happened to you. And it was, it was heart-wrenching, really, because you... Uh, you explained it in such a way that it made it clear that you really didn't realize what was going on at all. And then suddenly, wham, you were slammed with this situation. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this and, and how this impacted you in your life, Dr. Stella? Yes. The, the book grew out of probably one of the most darkest times in my life. Uh, my husband of 22 years uh, said that he wanted a divorce. And at the time, it, this threw me into a tailspin. First, it was unwanted, and it was also unexpected. And what I realized that as I was in this tailspin, I started reacting in ways that were very childlike. I became clingy. I became needy. I cried a lot. And I knew these behaviors would not win my husband back. But for some reason, I couldn't stop them. And as time went on, what I realized that this was triggering a past trauma for me. My father had died shortly before I turned five. And when he died, our family went into chaos. And I was like a typical five-year-old, clinging, needy, and cried a lot. And I realized I was reenacting that trauma. I was reacting to the loss of my husband like I reacted to the abandonment that I felt at five years old. And once I realized that, 
I was able to begin the process of healing. I realized that the trigger of past traumas that were unresolved were coming forth in present day. And, and part of what happens when we are triggered is that even though we are chronologically one age, so when my husband won divorce, I was in my 40s. When my father died, I was five. Even though I was an adult woman and I spoke like an adult woman, I was reacting like that five-year-old. So triggers from our past can throw us back to an early developmental age. And when it does that, we problem solve at that age, which may have worked at an earlier age, but not as an adult. So once I realized that, I started working with kind of what is going on in my brain? Why is this happening? And I did have a background in neuroscience, but it had been years. And when I was in graduate school, we were taught that once a brain was formed, it was formed and it was like cast in stone, it couldn't change. We now know that's not the case. We know that the brain has neuroplasticity and it can change. So I began working with, okay, I had these neural pathways form my communication centers from past trauma, how can I form new ones? And part of the technique was using mindfulness, being present in the moment and being aware of what I was reacting to and how I was experiencing it. Well, you uh, went ahead then and you talked not only about your own situation, but then with with uh, stories from your clients. And each of the stories that you told, uh, again, you made them very compelling and and you, you really painted quite a, a picture that drew the reader in. Would you share a story with us here about maybe one of your clients or a situation you had where uh, mindfulness made a difference and, and your techniques specifically made a huge difference to help that client? I would love to. Um, now, first off, I need to say this is a composite case. Uh, because of confidentiality, I can't disclose the actual scenario, but this is pretty darn close. Um, and, and if I do, it's with always with a client's permission. Uh, one client I had, and I do describe her in the book, and and in the the reason I really liked this case was I there was a young woman that I saw as a young child for OCD and she had pretty significant OCD um, for about and I saw her from about ages 10 to 12 and then again in her early teens and mid-teens and she learned to manage her OCD fairly well and and part of her trigger was that she felt like when her OCD started that she wasn't being heard you know, that she was going to people that were important in her life and they were dismissing what her concerns were. Now, her concerns were blown out of proportion because it was OCD, but what's happening is her parents weren't recognizing this. And her parents would become easily frustrated with her and just kind of shut her down because they, they were just overwhelmed by this continual, um, what they felt was like complaining and, and excessive worry. Um, once they re she realized, I should say, that it was OCD, she learned the techniques to deal with it. She went on, she did great. She lived in Europe for a couple of years during college, was quite independent. And then she got married and she married a really nice guy, but a very laid back guy and not necessarily um, one that respected her OCD. You know, he kind of dismissed it too. And they had a dog and they had to have agreements about the dog and where it would go in the house and so forth. And, and one of the, my clients, her name was Lily. 
Lily's condition was that the dog could not go in the kitchen. Um, and as far as she knew, the dog didn't go in the kitchen. Um, her husband was, uh, he would make his own peanut butter and it was really good peanut butter and she enjoyed the peanut butter. One day she came home unexpectedly and she found her husband feeding the dog from their jar with a spoon, the peanut butter he made in the kitchen. Well, this threw Lily into a tailspin because it threw her back to early childhood when she felt like her anxiety concerns, her OCD concerns were not listened to. And she was feeling not heard and not loved. So we worked with mindfulness one for her to recognize what was really being triggered here. Was it the fact that Lily, or I'm sorry, the fact that the dog was in the kitchen or was it the fact that the dog was eating the peanut butter or was it that she felt again, not heard? So using mindfulness, she was able to be able to experience that feeling and be able to go back and recognize these were old traumas or triggers being activated for her. So using the mindfulness techniques, when she was triggered again with her husband, and we did work through the peanut butter issue and so forth, um, she was able to be able to learn how to take, a, importantly, a step back. And one of the ways to know that she was triggered, or any of us, is when a reaction is out of proportion to the event. So if we are having an overreaction, that's when it's important to, to take a step back, be mindful, one, what am I experiencing? What is this taking me back to? How, and one way to indicate that is how old does it make me feel? You know, if I feel like I'm 13, again, I'm going to start thinking very black and white and problem solve from that perspective. So it's being able to say, what does this remind me of and where it takes me back? And just being mindful of the moment, mindful of what you're experiencing and learning to say, okay, if this is really important to me, I can wait 24 hours. I use it, the duct tape rule. Imagine duct tape over your mouth. I'm going to wait 24 hours. If I want to say something in 24 hours, I can. And I can do it then in a much calmer, focused, grown-up way. One of the things I liked about your book, Dr. Stella, was that as you talked about the client and the story, then you said, and, and then here's a tool that I used and here's how it worked. And you shared the tool right then and there. And then when I got to the end of the book, I was delighted because you had gathered all the tools together and put them there at the end of the book to use. And I've used some of those with my clients and found them very helpful. Would you share one of those tools with us? our audience right now? Oh, I would love to. And I'm actually going to, going to look at the book and let me pick one out. Uh, in the book, I focus on the six most common fears that we have. And I'm actually going to pick, this is probably one of the more, I don't want to say complicated one, but um, there was one client that I had that I just absolutely um, kind of adored. And one of their major fears was the fear of failure. Um, and I think that's common for all of us. And, you know, particularly if you tend to be a perfectionist and perfectionists are the best procrastinators and they're the ones who often fear failure. Um, so typically what I will do, this was, this was a young man who grew up in uh, Cincinnati in a relatively um, well-established, well-heeled family conservative in Cincinnati. And he was really struggling with 
trying to feel accepted just for, for who he was. So one of the tools that I use to start with, and I think this is important, is I have people tell their story. And whether you do this to someone else or whether you tell your story to someone else or you write it down or tell it to yourself, but tell your story. And I usually tell people, don't get too hung up on um, making sure everything is exact because our memory is not exact. So really what is important is what we tell ourselves, the story that we have told ourselves. So just own that as your story. So I have people tell their story and sometimes we can take a session or two just really exploring who they are, how they think of themselves and what's their story. And then we go through and look at what's a common thread in your story. You know, what are the things that you fear? You know, fear is the root of anxiety and stress. What is it that we fear? And so if it's, is it failure? Is it, um, you know, confrontation? Is it isolation? So after people identify what their fears are, then we go through and we identify their triggers. And typically what we'll do is we'll look at present day. What are their triggers? Where are the things that they either overreact to or tend to want to shy away from or have very black and white thinking? Once they can identify their triggers, and typically there's more than one, um, and and you know you're triggered again by your own internal reaction, is we begin people having face face those triggers. And so for example, somebody who's a fear a failure is often a perfectionist. And a trigger often is being faced with their own imperfections and being able to embrace their own p- imperfections. Um, and once they can look at those triggers, we then begin to focus on what are their thoughts around their triggers and what are their feelings what about that. Oftentimes we believe what we feel and what we think. And what's really interesting as humans, our feelings and thoughts don't always tell us the truth. So just because we think something or just because we feel something doesn't mean it's the truth. So I have people kind of examine what evidence there is to support that this is the truth. And I'm gonna give an example. My daughter was a little girl. She used to believe there was a monster under her bed. And it didn't matter how many times we checked, there was a monster under the bed. Her feelings were true. She was really scared. But what she was thinking and what she was feeling was not telling her the truth because there was no monster. And as adults, we all have monsters. So once people are able to face and identify what the source of their trigger is, then we look at how do they self-sabotage? What do they do that keeps them stuck in a trap where they go around and around and they can't seem to get out of what they're stuck in. So example, if it's perfectionism, it's, you know, are you hiding behind this facade? What's the mask you wear? Do you start to self-sabotage by justifying others' criticism or what you perceive as criticism? And then once we can do that, we do what's called the courageous brain process. We begin going through focused meditation exercises. And in my book, I focus again on six common fears. And for each one, there is a specific exercise that we go through to begin addressing that fear. So basically it's a six step model where we tell our story, own our truth, identify our triggers, see where we self-sabotage, and then begin focusing on how do we get out of it.
Excellent. Yeah, I found this so helpful with my clients. I'm I'm very interested in uh, what caused you to come to the point where you decided to write the book and what was your goal with the book? I feel a bit like an evangelist. Um, this model worked for me. I, I have to tell you, when I was able to work this model initially with myself, it freed me. Um, and and I, since this model, I've had two bouts of cancer. And do I would I want cancer? Absolutely not. But was I afraid? No, because this model turned, told them, this model helped me handle my life. And when I realized it worked so effectively for me, I began working using it with my clients. And I found my clients who I may have seen for years, although the therapy may have made them feel better, it was only temporary. There wasn't any significant change. When I started using this approach, I started seeing change. And this is the, what made me write the book is I wanted to get the word out that we can heal. You know, we don't have to live a life of fear. And whatever our anxiety issues or stress issues are, we can manage them. Doesn't mean we like it, but we can manage it. So that was my impetus in writing the book. One of the things I love about it is that it is not intimidating at all. Oh, thank you. you. Know, this book is not intimidating for anyone to read. Not in my opinion, anyway. It's a short book. It's it's very inviting with all the stories, and it just pulls you in. And then, in a very clear way, tells you how to use these tools yourself so that you can make this happen, or you can use them with someone else. So I really like that about your book. Do you have plans to write any more books, Doctor Stella? Yes, I do. And at this time, I am working with the publisher formulating some different ideas. I will also be doing some uh, webinars uh, using this model and helping people be able to learn it themselves. You know, you don't need to do this model with a therapist. You can. Uh, it's not to replace your therapist, but it can be done on your own. Very interesting. When do you think you'll start doing the webinars? Well, we're in the planning stages right now. I'm hoping to start in the spring. Okay. And if Very people good. are interested in the webinar, they just need to sign up uh, on my website for the newsletter, and then they will get information on the webinar. Right. And your website is nancystella.com. So that's very easy. N-A-N-C-Y-S-T-E-L-L-A, nancystella.com. And uh, definitely, I would encourage you to purchase the book. And you can get the book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. And uh, it, it's just a great book to to have in your, your collection of books. Now, I want to ask you a question that I always ask my my uh, interviewees and that is about bullying because i've worked in the field of bullying for some time do you have a story about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference oh abs i think absolutely um when we're bullied uh, we tend to take things very personally and it's hard not to when somebody's bullying you sure is um, and i think with especially with uh working with in the past i have worked considerably with children and and using mindfulness is helping children learn to not take things personally children's are children are often the pawns or victims of their circumstance um, so using mindfulness it's learning to recognize kind of what you feel but also part of the mindfulness approach I take, particularly with bullying, 
is learning how do we develop compassion for the other person. Now, it doesn't mean we want to be bullied. It doesn't mean we want to be around this person. But how do we recognize that each of us has our own vulnerabilities and we bring our own vulnerabilities to the table? And somebody who's a bully is often wearing a mask. And so it's how do you not get sucked in or take the bait, but also being able to extricate yourself from the situation appropriately too. Uh, but being mindful is recognizing, okay, I'm feeling scared or I'm feeling angry, I'm feeling intimidated. Those are just feelings. And it's a reaction to what I perceive is happening just being made fun of, taunted, whatever it may be, and then learning, okay, those are just feelings. They're not going to last. And how do I move out of this situation? And it's also understanding a bit how the brain works. Um, and, and I'm going to put this in the context uh, a little away from bullying, but when bad things happen to us or when we worry about something, uh, our anxiety brain, which is kind of stuck in the middle of our head, it's called the amygdala, is designed to protect us. And it's that part of the body that when we become anxious, it's because that piece of the brain is triggering the body to pump out adrenaline. That part of the brain can't see reality. So when we become anxious, it doesn't know, are you worried about being late for work? Are you worried about being bullied? Are you worried about a tiger chasing you? All it knows is that when the smart brain, and that is a bit crude, but our frontal lobes, Mm -hmm. um, right behind our forehead is worried about something or thinking about something that anxiety brain wants to keep you safe. The problem is the more anxious you get in a situation, the more emotional you get and the less logical. And that's why oftentimes in bullying, people are afraid they're, or they can be embarrassed. And so it's important to be able to be able to take, to take a step back, kind of recognize, okay, my, I'm operating on my emotional brain. I just really shouldn't react right now except to get myself safe okay and not take the bait um no the 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 problem is for somebody who's continually bullied our brain force pathways neural pathways and it forms that form of communication so that if it's a trigger from past bullying your reaction especially your emotional reaction may be more intense than the current situation and that's important to recognize Right. Dr. Stella, you grew one of Ohio's largest private multi-specialty mental health practices with over 75 providers. That sounds like quite a huge undertaking. Did that take you away at all from the work that you truly love to do, working specifically with clients? Or what was that journey like for you doing this? There certainly was a need for mental health services and the practice grew from that need. Um, when I realized, I, and I was still seeing, I had a business partner and I was still seeing clients because that really is my first love. Um, and when I realized, especially after going through the experience that led to this book, I ended up selling the portion of my practice to him so I could just focus solely on clinical practice. Um, you know, I'm glad it, it was a great experience, but it really was much more of a business than uh, sure. this direct service I, I enjoyed. Sure, sure. I, uh, I want to ask you uh, five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are okay. perfect. And the first one is this. Um, 
Tell us if there's one specific person that comes to mind who has been a very powerful influence for you in your mindfulness. Mm. I would say my children. Uh, Just seeing them as young children being very present in the moment, whether it be focusing on playing with toys or being upset with each other. Yeah. Uh, Tell us how mindfulness has affected your emotions or affected how you deal with your emotions. Mindfulness has given me mind control so that when I feel an emotional reaction, I can uh, take a step back and assess whether or not I want to um, express it or manage it. Let's talk about breathing. How is breathing a part of your mindfulness practice? Well, breathing is critical because when we go back to the idea of uh, that primitive anxiety brain, how the brain knows that there's danger in the environment is by what we think about and how we breathe because we breathe differently when we're relaxed versus when we are anxious or energized. So part of the mindfulness approach is teaching people the deep breathing so that they can take Uh, learn to kind of calm that anxiety brain, and in turn, it calms the body. Uh, So the the deep breathing is critical um, in teaching people mindfulness. It goes hand in hand. And when people are anxious, sometimes we start with mindfulness being, let's let's practice for 30 seconds, and we'll do it in the office. And they have to recognize, okay, just keep doing the deep breathing. While you're focusing, your mind may go all over the place. When you realize it, just bring it back to what you're focusing on. Dr. Stella, can you recommend a book that's related to mindfulness that our our listeners could benefit from? There are several excellent books out there. I think one of the basic primers would be the would be one almost any book by John J O N Cabot Zinn Z I N N, and he if you look on Amazon, you will see a number of his books. He's one of the first people to kind of bring mindfulness meditation uh, into the U.S. Uh, from the Eastern tradition. It's not religious-based, but focus on mindfulness. I think that's a good primer. Yeah, yeah, his books are excellent. They really are. Are there any apps that you recommend that can help with mindfulness? There are so many. Um, Typically, what I'll recommend to a client is try different apps and find which one you like before you buy it, because usually there's a free trial period or samples. One that I like is Aura, A-U-R-A, And what I like about that one is, um, even if you don't subscribe to the app, you'll get brief, like three-minute, four-minute mindfulness meditations uh, each day based on what you feel you struggle with. I think that's an excellent app. Right. Great. I'll put that in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. So, Dr. Stella, I'm very interested in your personal um, journey with meditation. Do you meditate every day? And Now, this isn't part of our, our short answer questions, but I just wanted to ask you about your own practices personally. Mm-hmm. I do meditate every day, um, or almost every day. I don't want to say, I don't want to make this an all or none. And the, and the meditations that I find the most useful is uh, what I refer to as a meta meditation. Um, and I'd be happy to explain it to you. It may sound a little bit odd, but it's for me, what is the most helpful is doing a loving kindness meditation where um, I imagine 
the people who I value and love behind me that are no longer here with us. And if you believe in uh, a God or a higher power, then you can also imagine that per that being too. And I imagine them just filling me with love. And then what I do is I have that love come through me and it goes to the people that I love. It goes to the people that I come in contact with and it goes to the people I have issues with. So, and that's the most difficult one. And for me, that is a meditation that I do. Um, another meditation that I will do on occasion is I will listen to chanting. Um, yes. Very good. Yeah. Uh, the book is called Fear Traps, Escape the Triggers That Keep You Stuck by Dr. Nancy Stella, Mindful Tribe. Like I've already mentioned, I really encourage you to get this book because I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And as we wrap up the interview, I just want to ask you, Dr. Stella, for a short word or two of advice for anyone listening to this episode that just does feel stuck. They do feel discouraged. They feel as though they're in a rut and they don't really know where to start. What would your words of advice be, Dr. Stella? Uh, to have hope. Because we can change. We know, again, that our brain is not cast in stone. We all have our ways of thinking and our ways of responding that often make us feel like we're going down a rabbit hole. Um, but there is hope. Um, my book is one of them that will help you change. It takes time and patience and practice. But we can change. Dr. Stella, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me, Bruce. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Bye now. Bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe. Thanks again for joining us here on Mindfulness Mode. Great to have you with us, Mindful Tribe. And uh, hey, you should check out my Instagram Reels. I'm working hard at getting more content out there on Instagram and also TikTok. So I'd love it if you checked out my channel. Just use, just go to my name, Bruce Langford. Check out my channel. It'd be great if you uh, left a comment or uh, shared something. Now, of course, you can always email me, bruce at mindfulnessmode.com, and I'd love to hear from you. So take what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.